Hello. I thought I'd use this as it's been the focus of the service up to now, so it seems to make sense. Oh, can you hear me all right? Good. Right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. And we pray for more of you this evening, for each of us, and for all who are members of this church. In your name, amen. Right, it's a bit of a tall order tonight, is it not? Um, loving the Lord with all you are. We could have a show of hands. We're not going to. Uh, and, you know, we could, we, could, um, we could ask, you know, who's, who's at 100%? And we could go down and uh, we could see how low we could get. Right, but you may like to, um, you may like to consider that just in your own mind um, this evening. Um, it's uh, more a time of reflection rather than a, a sermon in itself, as, as it were. Um, so where are you in your love for God, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit? Where are you in that? Um, and I'm going to perhaps ask one or two questions and make one or two comments. Uh, and the idea of these is for you to reflect upon them. Um, I may have mentioned this last time, but uh, I've had a birthday and our three wonderful grandchildren bought me this uh, Bible, the message Bible, so it says in it, from Hannah Jackson, Beth, Joshua to Grandad on his birthday. Okay, now I, lo I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I just love it as a book in itself. I just love the feel of it, but I also love reading it. It's, uh, it's terrific. Um, I, I, was bought another, I was bought another couple of books. Uh, by, by my wonderful wife, Joan. One of them being the latest novel by Se Sebastian Falks. Do we have any readers of Sebastian Falks here? Yeah, one or two, three, yeah, 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 sort of, yeah. There are some things that Falks writes that I'm not really keen on, but we'll just leave that to one side. Um, this latest novel, um, is, the narrator is a, 60, a man who's in his 60s, and he's reflecting on his life. So he reflects on his, his childhood, his adolescence, his time at university, and then inevitably for folks, his time in the Second World War. You know, he wrote Birdsong, which is a wonderful, probably his best novel of all. Uh, so it's inevitably about the war. And then after the war, um, the narrator, Dr. Robert Hendricks, becomes a doctor. And as I was reading through the novel... Uh, I came to this uh, simple paragraph which, in which he says that he, he, he didn't hang out with other doctors because he didn't want them to define him. Now, I had a bit of a light bulb moment, it, not, not particularly spiritual, but something that uh, helped me to understand uh, my past. Uh, if I explain... Um, I was a curate in Wigan, right? So I've worked in Wigan, 
uh, Chorley and Blackburn. Um, uh, thoroughly expected to, to work in inner city Liverpool, but that was not God's plan. He had a different plan. So I became a missionary to Lancashire. Um, so in Wigan, and uh, I had a good vicar, but you know, some of the clergy were, well, they either said these words or they, their faces showed them, you're just a curate. He's just a curate. The fact that I was a family man, that I'd been married for some years, the fact that I'd taught in two Liverpool comprehensives, I think they should have had a go at that. Counted for nothing. He's just a curate. And it was a bit of an old boys club, except they weren't all old. You know, and it was difficult to penetrate their circle, and I was just excluded. Status meant a lot to some of these clergy. Um, and I realised, when I, when I read this about, in this novel by Falks, I realised that my reaction to those people was, I do not want them to define my life. I don't want them to define my life. And so, in a sense, I've been a, a little bit of a rebel. You know, I'm, I wasn't mad keen on chapter meetings or deanery synods or diocesan synods or general synod. I gave them a go, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. They do great work and stuff like that, you know, most of the time, I guess. But it wasn't me. Um, and so a, po a question I'm posing to you this evening is, who or what defines your life? Now, if you want to think about that the rest of the time and, and sort of tune out of what I'm saying and follow your own thoughts, that would be really good. But I would encourage you at some point even to write down who or what defines my life. So I thought, well, who has defined my life? And um, the vicar and curate of our church in Bootle, where Joan and I came to faith, St. Matthew's Bootle, they defined my life. The vicar, Dennis Gatenby, when he got up in that pulpit as the new vicar and he preached, my instinctive reaction was, I want to do that. I was about 14 or 15. I used to sit there as an arrogant teenager when he preached, and I'd do my own sermons in my head, and they were far better than his. And when it came to the real thing, I discovered that was far from the truth. And then David, the curate, was very patient, very, very wise with me. You know, I had lots of questions. And sometimes we'd sit together till the late hours of the evening. Um, but he was wise. He was sensitive. He didn't let me off the hook. And I wrote a poem at one time about our conversations. And I can only remember one line of the poem, which was, You uneased my easy chair. So the comfortable position I was in because of David's questions or his answers to my questions, he, un he, he made me uncomfortable, and that was a good thing. So Dennis and David um, uh, defined, I realized they defined my life. And another thing that was important at that time was the people of the church, St. Matthew's. Um, they, were, they were and still are a wonderful people, much uh, diminished in numbers now because of people moving out of the area.
but a wonderful fellowship of people. By no means perfect. The vicar, De uh, the vicar before Dennis, John Hunter, actually refused three couples communion at eight o'clock communion. Can you imagine that? These three couples came up to the communion rail and he refused to give them communion. He didn't write to the bishop beforehand to get his permission. He just didn't give them communion. Created a huge upset. And I can remember uh, him standing in front of the congregation and, and apologizing in tears. And there was reconciliation with all of them. So they weren't perfect, but they were a wonderful fellowship. And Joan and I, throughout our ministry, have wanted to enable congregations to be like that. And whenever Joan and I had problems in ministry, you know, it does happen, you know, difficulties do arise, don't they, in the life of a church. We would go through the same cycle. Right, these are a load of rotters. We'll, we'll go somewhere else. But how, how did we come to be here? Because God called us. What did he call us to do? He called us to love him and to love the people. Once we got to there we were back on track to love the people. Right. So that defined us. And the other major thing that defined Joan and myself was in 1995, we went down to Hertfordshire to the Church of St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, which you may have heard of. Bishop David Pitchers uh, was the vicar. It was a 10-day, it was called a retreat, a Hensel retreat after the name, the Hensel being the name of the house where we where about 14 of us met, plus leaders, in a large living room. And um, we were taught throughout the 10 days by various people. Joan and I made a pact as we drove down the M1 that we'd give it three days, and if it was off the wall, we were coming home. We were met by Teddy and Margaret Saunders. Uh, Teddy Saunders wrote an uh, a biography of David Watson. And we were met with nothing but love, and grace. And the people who taught us during those 10 days were David Pitchers, Barry Kissel, John Coles, who became director of New Wine, Bruce Collins, with whom I went to South Africa, Norway, and Finland, so I could understand that's the way I learned about prophetic ministry. A guy called Mike Pilavachi. Do you know any of these names? Yeah? And a very shy young man would come in when we had a time of worship, with his acetates on the overhead projector. And we would sing these wonderful songs we'd never heard of, and then he would go. I tried to engage him in conversation, but he was very shy. And that chap was called Matt Redman. Right. These were the people we were taught by. And um, it changed our ministry. Because we met with, with grace and love. Um, we met with people who were filled with the Spirit, who were gentle, sensitive, kind, ministered uh, with love. And it was extraordinary that these people would come at different times, morning, afternoon, evening sometimes, and they would pray with the 14 members there, and they would say things that they felt God was saying 
and you know you, you couldn't help but overhear because you were in a fairly small room. And, and you would hear consistently God saying the same things to people, but from different visitors. That really alerted us to the presence of God. So there's some of the things that defined me. Um, so you may think back to, to your, your past. What has been defining you? What defines you now? Who is making your agenda? Who is making your agenda? Or what is making your agenda? And how the answers to those questions, how are they contributing to, you, to enable you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's, um, these are fairly deep questions. And... Um, Being here with you, it is obvious that we are building here upon a great deal of love. Once again, I would like to say it's brilliant that you have an evening service. I wish our church did. We do try and encourage it every now and then, but we're not making much progress. Um, it's wonderful that you come together and that you pray as you have done this evening and previous evenings and into the future. So we're, it's something that is being built on. Don't go away thinking, I'm starting from scratch, but rather starting from where you are and the love that you already have for God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another way of asking this question is, whose air are you breathing? This is the air we breathe. You know that song? Your holy presence living with us, in me. You are my daily bread. Whose air are you breathing? Whose company are you keeping whereby you breathe in the love of God? Who are you choosing to be with because you know that with them you actually get closer to God? Now, I'm not for a moment saying that we need to become recluses and have nothing to do with the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. So, yes, we need to know our next-door neighbors and, and people at work and witness to them and tell them about Jesus, about our faith, etc., etc. But alongside that, who is it you're meeting with? Who are you praying with? Who is praying for you? Um, is there someone who is your... Uh, spiritual advisor is there someone you go to every now and then and have a good chat with about where you're at I was very blessed uh, throughout my uh, previous ministry um, in that the, the people I just mentioned Dennis and David were people I could go to lift the phone and speak to and I had others such as uh, Cyril Ashton you know Cyril Ashton yeah, so Cyril and I would get together every now and then and talk things through. Um, and that was a great blessing to me. Uh, my wife, Joan, um, she listens to um, Bill Johnson. He's a pastor in Reading, California. Bill Johnson is good stuff. He's good stuff. Joan listens to that. She also listens to sermons from Trinity Cheltenham, 
on her Tesco huddle. Right? She loves it. She loves it. And she listens to Christian music. And this, this I know is bringing her closer to the Lord. What are you doing? Are you actually, what, what choices are you making? What, what are you, where are you actually intent? Where you're actually intent on making a choice which is likely to bring you closer to God and know more of his love. Um, who is inspiring you? Who is inspiring you? It may be that, you know, it's someone like uh, Bill Johnson in Reading. Well, Joan can't just go and have a chat with him. But who are the, who are the people you could go and sit with and talk things through? And I'm bound to say, when we talk about whose air are you breathing, that all scripture is God-breathed. So that, so that when we come to this wonderful Bible, this library of books, when we come to it, you know, God has breathed on those who wrote it. He has inspired them, and so we have this wonderful Bible. This wonderful Bible. This has defined my life. This continues to define my life. Because when I read it, God continues to breathe out of it into me. So it's not just a handy book of uh, biblical quotations or a handbook to do with lifestyle. This is actually, when I read this word day by day, God breathes his life into me. God breathes correction into me. Um, you know, you know, you, you know, one Corinthians thirteen very well, don't you? Um, uh, keeps no record of wrongs. Right. Um, Joan, have had, Joan and I have had something of a difficulty with a particular uh, individual, um, and who has upset us sometimes greatly. It's been going on for a, a number of years. Um, and I became conscious that um, I was keeping a record of wrongs. Those of you who have uh, can remember last time I say I told about David Pitchers going to see his bishop, and he read one Corinthians that he had a record. He had a record of wrongs. And Joan and I have known we need to do something about that. We need to do something about it. And the Lord, through His Word, has been speaking to us. And what we have done, we have written this person's name down. There is a cross in the office and we've put that person's name under the cross and it is there at this very moment. And what we are saying to the Lord, in the, by your cross, you know, by, by, your, by your love shown on the cross, draw us to love this person. And as I've read God's word, I know that the only answer to this difficulty with this individual is love and forgiveness that's the only answer that's that's the only answer prayer of course but prayer said with love and forgiveness for the wrong that they have done to us and you know what our relationship with that person is hugely improved 
absolutely hugely improved. It has been, it has been wonderful. So when, when we read this precious word, God breathes his life into us. And um, you, you may be uh, a morning person or you may be uh, an evening person or you may be a don't disturb me at any time of the day person. Um, whatever your pattern, I want to encourage you to keep it. My inclination has always been to meet with the Lord early in the morning so that we get off on the right foot. And if, if you're not a morning person, I, I would encourage you to, to at least pray. At least pray and meet with him. Be it ever so briefly, it will make all the difference in the world. So who, who, how, how do you, who is defining your life? What is defining your life? Who's making your agenda? Whose air, air do you breathe? And this word... This word, are you breathing this in? Breathing it in so that the breath of God, you know, breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life for you that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou dost wouldst do. This, this will breathe, breathe his life into us right? and, and help you through all sorts of problems and difficulties. Um, just two more things uh, to add. When, when, when I was here last time, I did mention I was going to tell you about Mary Pitcher's, David Pitcher's uh, wife, um, who was having a time of great difficulty. Uh, they, they'd been uh, you know, missionaries in South America. They'd come home. They hoped to get a parish in this country. That didn't work out. The one thing they didn't want was to be called back to South America for another number of years of missionary work. But individually and separately, God spoke to them and said he wanted them back in South America. And they were obedient. Um, and as, and this, was, and this is when they, they, they journeyed by ship some time ago. So as Mary and David are getting on the ship, Mary says to the Lord, you know, we believe this is of you, but you're going to have to get me off this ship a different person than, than what is getting on. You're going to have to do something on this journey. And they meet a friend called Jenny, who's just trained to be a missionary and is going, and going to work in this, roughly the same area where they're going. And they've known Jenny before, but they see something different in Jenny. And uh, Mary wants to know what it is. What is it? What is different about it? And, and, and Jenny's a bit evasive because she has an understanding that the pictures aren't strong in the things of the spirit at this point. So she's evasive. But eventually, she says, she's had an experience of God's Holy Spirit, and now she loves Jesus more than she ever has. And Mary's response is, I want it. I want it. I want that. So Mary now spends the journey on the ship, walking round and round the ship, Praying, reading her Bible, sitting in the stern of the ship, no matter what the weather's like. Sitting, reading her Bible, praying and praying and praying and wanting this same experience as Jenny and nothing happens. And then one day she reads that passage which says, ask and it will be given you, you know, etc. And will not, will not God give, even give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So she, 
She asks. She asks. Nothing. Nothing at all. So she asks again. Nothing. And then as she goes to bed that night, she reads the, the, the scripture which says, there is weeping in the evening, but there will be joy in the morning. So she, she, th she thinks there'll be joy in the morning. So she wakes up and she sort of is looking for this joy. And it's not there. And, and then, then, she thinks, well, I've asked. If I've asked, I must have received. And that alone causes her to be filled with the Spirit. She, if I've asked, I must receive. She goes to Jenny and she tells Jenny, I've asked and I've received. And as she is talking to Jenny, she feels the great power of the Holy Spirit in her life. And David Pitches writes in his autobiography, it's very unnerving for him because he now has to go to bed with a charismatic. <laughs> and um, what, what, I, what I want to say to you is that if you want more, you just need to ask for it. If you want more of love for God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and for your neighbor, you just need to ask for it. Jesus says that the Father gives the Spirit without limit. And so the last thing I have for you to, to think about is the word more. I love praying with people. And one of the things I love praying with people is, give them more, Lord. Give them more. Give them more. And we're going to pray that in just a moment. Um, so who, define, who or what is defining your life? Who's making your agenda? Whose air are you breathing? If you want to love with all that you are, ask the Lord to give you that love. And if you ask, you will receive. And ask him to give you more. Just more. And this morning, when I was, um, when I was reading, I've been reading through um, Acts. And um, I came across uh, these words. If I can find them. And I'd like to offer these words to, to, to you, to, to St. Stephen's. Um, it's in chapter 9 of Acts, and it's verse 31. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God. The Holy Spirit was with them, strengthening them. They prospered wonderfully. I'll just read that again. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God. The Holy Spirit was with them, strengthening them. They prospered wonderfully. Now, in a sense, I'd like to, I'd like to pray that the Lord will breathe those words onto yourselves and into the life of this church, building on what is already here the life 
of God that is already here and is attracting new people, as Mike prayed about this morning. And so that more people will be attracted here because of love. Love of Jesus, who in that conundrum he gave to the, the Pharisees, was actually saying Jesus was son and therefore servant. And he was master and therefore sovereign. Servant and sovereign. So that people coming here will know that you are servants of the master. And, you, and they will know that he is sovereign in your lives. They may not articulate it like that. But if you are being a servant and obedient and acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Master as Sovereign. It will have an effect. So, in conclusion, let's, let's pray. And um, I want to pray over you. I want to pray these words for you. Father God, I, I, I praise you. I praise you, Lord. Um, I praise you personally because right at the beginning of this talk when I prayed, you reminded me of a word I hadn't written down and the word was more. Thank you so much for that. And now, Lord, in your name, Jesus, I want to pray for this church, for the people who are gathered here, for those who are here this morning, for those who are yet to come. And Lord, I, I would ask you to breathe these words upon your people gathered here so that they are permeated with a deep sense of reverence for you. I pray that now for them, Lord, in each individual life, a deep sense of reverence for you. Bless them now, Lord. Bless each one. And the verse continues, the Holy Spirit was with them, strengthening them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive more of the Spirit in your life now. Uh, you may want to open your hands where you sit. Uh, you may, in, by so, in so doing, you may be saying to the Lord, I open my heart, I open my mind. Um, I want to love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. I open my life to you, to receive you, Holy Spirit. Uh, love, love. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. And I ask you, Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, that these words will be true of St. Stephen's. They prospered wonderfully. Lord, there's a, a real love for you here. There's a hunger for you. There's a desire to serve you. 
for people to serve each other and to serve you in this community, for you to be glorified. I ask you to honor that and to prosper this church and for people to be drawn here because these are your servants who honor you as sovereign. So I ask you, Father, for these, your people, more, more. Amen.